1: Welcome to Politics by Faith, I'm Mike Slater, thank you for being here. We have a TV show on The First TV, which just as of a couple weeks ago is now available on DirecTV, so you can watch us on DirecTV as well as uh, Pluto and all these other services, but you can also um, just download the app and everything we do is available there as well. So we did a special on identity politics and how identity politics is a poison that is hurting our country and we need to knock it off. The whole special, of course, is available on the First TV app if you want to download it there. But I wanted to replay the final segment here. Uh, This is where we focus on the full story, the rest of the story of the Tulsa race riot of 1923 and why the Black Lives Matter activists stop the story in the middle of it. (laughs) They don't finish the story. Why not? I hope it's clear in this special here. I didn't state this in the podcast, but there's kind of more obvious undertones as well of personal responsibility, and that's what I want to talk about here. Uh, Thomas Sowell, famous quote: He says, "You cannot take any people of any color and exempt them from the requirements of civilization. <laughs> you can't. You can't." Get away from that, including work, behavioral standards, personal responsibility, and all the other basic things that the clever intelligentsia disdain without ruinous consequences to them and to society at large. And the first free black people in America didn't want exemptions from civilization. They didn't want it. They wanted freedom. They wanted the chance to prove that they could overcome the difficulties of life. And that's why in a minute I want to get to the Tulsa Race Massacre. Uh, but, but let me state this first. The Bible's very clear about this. The Bible's very clear about personal responsibility. Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, this is in uh, thir- uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, Keep away from the idle and the disruptive. <laughs> Paul says, We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. No, on the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And Paul says, we did that as a model for you to show you how it's proper to behave. He says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Personal responsibility. The one who's unwilling to work shall not eat. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. How amazingly relevant. Is that. And then 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, uh, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Hmm. But part of the black history message, part of the identity politics message is you can't do it for yourself. You can't. You are unable. You cannot overcome. Everything's against you. The system is against you. Frederick Douglass, one of my all-time favorite lines, an incredible speech. He says, everyone would always ask me, what do we do with the Negro? And he says, I have one answer. He was a former slave. I got one answer. Do nothing. Do nothing with us. You doing with us has already played mischief with us. Do nothing with us. You've you've done quite enough, is what he said. He said, if the apples will not remain on the tree of their own strength, if they're worm-eaten at the core, if they're early ripe and disposed to fall, let them fall. I'm not for tying or fastening them on the tree in any way, except by nature's plan. And if they will not stay there, let them fall. And if the Negro cannot stand on his own legs, let him fall also. All I ask is give him a chance to stand on his own legs. I love that. Let me give an example. An example of standing on your own legs and an example of how the education industrial complex has framed a narrative of oppression and victimhood. 2021, the left made a big deal of the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre. It was all over the news, tons of articles. I never heard about it. I never heard about the Tulsa Race Massacre. So they were right about that, that this was not taught. This was not given a proper uh, due in the history of, uh, of America. Um, if you're just listening to this on the podcast or just tuning in now, the first segment of the show... Uh, we talked about the 1619 Project and how they teach history and how they should teach history. We played a clip of Morgan Freeman saying black history is American history. So we went through all these amazing black people in our history that the 1619 Project does not teach because there's stories of black people overcoming. So you can't teach stories of black people overcoming and teach black kids today that you can't. So they don't teach the stories of people overcoming. They just teach the stories of oppression and end it there. But the Tulsa Race Massacre shouldn't be taught like that. The 1619 Project, when they teach the Tulsa Race Massacre, they stop at a certain point. They don't finish the story, and I want to finish the story with you right here. So here's the background. Tulsa, Oklahoma. This was just after uh, World War I, right? 1921. Uh, unemployment was very high. A lot of men coming back from the war. Things were not great. The KKK was in full swing. Jim Crow laws legislating segregation it was a pretty ugly scene so black people in tulsa started their own neighborhood It was called greenwood very prosperous part of town they called it the negro wall street and there were grocery stores and two newspapers and two movie theaters and black doctors and dentists and all that great it was may 30th 1921 a 19 year old shoe shiner a black 19 year old shoe shiner got in the elevator to go to the top floor of a building and the elevator, in the elevator was a 17-year-old white girl. So you have a 17-year-old black man, excuse, 19-year-old black man, 17-year-old white girl. It was four o'clock in the afternoon. And someone working at the store heard a woman's scream and they saw a black man run from the building. The store employees called police, thinking that this woman was assaulted. Now, no one knows what happened in that elevator. There's theory that maybe they were, they were actually lovers, which of course was taboo then. Uh, maybe he did attack her, who knows? Who knows what happened? His name was Dick Rowland, her name was Sarah Page. So Dick was um, arrested and uh, an angry white mob met outside the police house. Actually I should say this, there were 45 officers in the police force, two of them were black. It was actually a black policeman who found him and arrested him, took him to the city jail and the police commissioner got a phone call threatening his life. So he had Roland, the 19-year-old, transferred to a more secure jail on the top floor of the courthouse. Now the attorneys of the city, they really liked the guy because he shined their shoes. So the attorneys of the city, the white attorneys, are like, no way did he do this, no way did he commit an assault. But the local newspaper, which was white-owned, wrote these sensationalist headlines, caused people to freak out, and a mob formed to lynch him. So you got a white mob wanting to lynch the 19-year-old black man. The sheriff, white, shut, uh, shut off the elevator to the, to the top of the building. He had six men armed with rifles and shotguns on the top of the roof and all throughout the courthouse to protect him. Had other deputies at the top of the stairs to sh- with orders to shoot any intruder on sight. So you have the white sheriff. You with me, like the senior? You got the white sheriff protecting the black 19-year-old. You got the white attorneys who are on the side of the black. But you got the white mob who's against the black 19-year-old. And ultimately, the sheriff caved to the mob demands. But there were 60 black men from Greenwood who were in support of the 19-year-old. So they arrived with a bunch of guns to the courthouse to support the sheriff against the white mob.
0: So it's just madness. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now, get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe, download now the truth.
1: And and there's rumors that the sheriff told black people to come and support him. So the black people are like, we're here. And the sheriff's like, I didn't tell you to come here. And they're like, yeah, you did. It was just total madness. So then all these black people show up with guns. So then a 1,000 white people went home to go get their guns. And there was a National Guard armory nearby. So they raided the armory and showed up again with a ton of guns. Total chaos. So the white people were worried about the black people. The black people were worried about the white people. Everyone is losing their minds. And someone shot a gun and then it was just on from. And it was a proper battle. There were rumors of even reinforcements coming in from other cities to support the black regiment and the white regiment. It was total chaos. And many white people, they, didn't, they weren't fighting, but they were attacked by the white mob for not joining in. And the mob lit fires, and the fire department got turned away at gunpoint, and the whole Greenwood burned to the ground. We don't know how many people died yet. They say somewhere between 30 and 300 people died. We have no idea. All over something that started in an elevator that no one even knows what happened. So, that's the story. That's the Tulsa race massacre. And that's where the activists stop. And they'll show a a picture of Greenwood just burned to the ground. Look at these evil white people. How could they have done such a terrible thing? This is a story of how racist America is. Now, I would say, if anything, it's just an example of the worst of human nature all around. It was Adam Coleman who in the first segment said, yeah, evil comes in all colors. So it's just, it was just madness and chaos and humans losing their minds. It's a story about how quickly things can spiral out of control, how quickly a mob can go crazy. But the left said it's about America being racist, okay. But the Black Lives Matter people, they stop there. Why don't they keep going? Why don't they finish the story? Wanna know the rest of the story? The rest of the story is Greenwood. After 36 blocks burned to the ground, had a renaissance, built back stronger than before. W.E.B. Dubois, du Bois, he uh, visited in 1926, so just five years later. He said, Black Tulsa, Greenwood, is a happy city. It has new clothes. It is young and gay and strong. Five little years ago, fire and blood and robbery leveled it to the ground. Scars are there, but the city is impudent and noisy. It believes in itself. Thank God for the grit of black Tulsa. Grit. Very different than victimhood, huh? So again, I bring this up because when the 1619's Project's mission is victimhood, they stop the story at the destruction. We should be teaching kids how to overcome adversity which is why we should finish the story, which is why we should tell about the Renaissance and the grit of all the great people who came before us. Why is the Tulsa Race Massacre framed as a moment of deep sadness and oppression when it could be told as an amazing story of grit and redemption and overcoming obstacles, full of people with personal responsibility Who didn't say oh woe is me the people of Tulsa and people surrounding who then moved in afterwards they didn't say oh
2: we're so oppressed They
1: got to work rebuilt stronger than before but the activists don't want people to overcome obstacles today they want them to rely on government they want them to rely on them It's it's not America it's not America it's not biblical I'll end with Delano Squires. This goes back to the first segment we talked about, the worldview. The worldview between if you believe in evolution versus if you believe in God creating man, and it leads you to two very, very different places. Worldview is essential to understand people's worldview and to understand your own. Delano Squires, he says, when searching for a guide for opposing race hatred, Choose a worldview that sees all people as individuals created in God's image. And reject the worldview that asserts some people are exempt from moral responsibility because of historical trauma. It goes back to personal responsibility. Always choose that which speaks to the eternal and the universal. Always choose the side that seeks humanity before skin color. If you're watching on the TV, you can check out our podcast, Politics by Faith. We take the story of the day, break it down, lament the brokenness, give the historical perspective and biblical truth to make that anxiety go away so that we can have courage to first get the peace to get a good sleep, and then the courage to wake up and fight on. Mike Slater, spread the word. So that was the final segment of the Identity Politics special, but I I wanna play one more segment, one more person we talked to, Adam B. Coleman. I've never talked to him before, Uh, but he was so fantastic that I hope it's not the last time. Enjoy. Adam B. Coleman is here. He's the author of the book, Black Victim to Black Victor, founder of Wrong Speak Publishing, and you got to follow him on Substack, .substack adambcoleman.substack.com. Adam, wonderful to see you, sir. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful you're here. What's the problem with identity politics?
2: (laughs) Well, where do I start? Uh, The the problem with identity politics is that it removes the individual. and it also segments people by what their supposed interests are. So me being black, the only thing I'm interested in is prison reform, uh, you know, government subsidies for housing um, and making sure that white people treat me treat me nice, you know, are nice to me and bend over backwards for me. Um, it's not possible for me to care about economics like anybody else. It's not possible for me to care about safety, which by the way, uh, polling has shown the number one concern for black Americans is safety. Um, And so safety and crime in combination. So this idea that identity politics needs to rule, um, it really doesn't. And and oftentimes it's used as a way to manipulate people, uh, to manipulate a population of people, to levy one against the other. Uh, And so that's why I'm not in favor of identity politics. I don't have a problem with discussing race. Uh, because it is a construct that exists within our society. And there are some things that we should discuss surrounding race, but it shouldn't be the end all be all. Um, you know, I'm a proponent of you know, having race be some form of identity, but not everything. You know, it's my existence, but it's not my entire existence.
1: Yep. Uh, your book's called From Victim to Victor. How were you told growing up that you're a victim?
2: Uh, it's not necessarily being told. It's it's shown by behavior. It's shown by uh, the society we grew up in. It's shown by my surroundings. Um, and as I as I've gotten older, you know, removing race from it, I started learning more by psychology. And you know, there is a certain victim aspect that exists within psychology, especially for like trauma victims. And one thing we don't tell them to do is to constantly relive that trauma to constantly harbor back to that resentment. Uh, otherwise they can't grow and they can't move forward. So I'm applying the same concepts that we would do in psychology um, to the context, uh, the context of race and how we should move forward. And we shouldn't forget things, right? You're not told to forget the trauma that you experienced, uh, but we shouldn't harbor trauma forward. You know, that's not how you move forward. And we also shouldn't harbor trauma that we didn't personally experience. Right, because all that does is create resentment and then it becomes some sort of uh, vengefulness that we're, we're being told to, mm. to take hold of. And, and so ultimately in the book, I, I try to tell people that you know we have more in common than we do different. Um, and I use my story growing up without my father to highlight that the disconnect from fathers with their children is actually an American issue. It's not just a black issue, we're mm. disproportionately high. Uh-huh but there are more white people in this country who grew up without their fathers than blacks.
1: Yep, universal problem. Yeah. So whenever I think of, whenever fathers come up, I always, I forget where I read this, I gotta find it, but it was this whole thing about how right after, during slavery, but right after slavery, uh, the the lengths that men went to search the South and search the nation for their families, that ones that were there because they were separated when they were, they were slaves mm-hmm. um it's powerful it's incredibly moving and today a lot of dads know exactly where their kids are but choose to to leave or whatever happened but um it's such a shame and what a quick hasn't been that long
2: yeah.
1: um anyway we can talk about uh, do you have a thought on that I mean, we can talk about fathers all day but do you have a thought
2: <laughs> no i mean you're absolutely right you know and now we can have fathers who live across the street from their kids and don't see them Um, And there's not enough shame when it comes to that as well. You know, Mm. there needs to be more shame on the end for the fathers, you know, my father, I would classify as deadbeat, he knew exactly where we were, Uh, he didn't reach out to us um, and he didn't really see us. Um, And the last time I talked to my father, I was 21 and he died a handful of years ago. So, you know, that's how disconnected I was from my father. But at the same time, Mm. we need to have some sort of shame for the women who choose these undesirable men. To become fathers, wow. you know, so there needs to be a balance between the two, and it, it's very easy for us to say, "Did be dads," but we don't give any sort of scrutiny to the mothers who get pregnant by these men. We, we, you know, we can see these guys from a mile away; they're undesirable men. My father was married; he shouldn't be having kids with another woman, right? That should have told you everything right there. for my, for my destiny as a, as a young man, so I, I think it's important that we're fair and and with fairness, we have to be critical of both sexes. Wow,
1: so glad you're saying this, because no one else is, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, What is the appeal of identity politics? I kind of want to ask you like the genesis of it, Mm -hmm. uh, but I think maybe a more interesting question is, why is it so appealing
2: to people? It's easy, you know, it's like, uh, you know, show a little kid uh, a a picture and ask him what colors are on the picture. Uh, This is red, this is blue. And this is why, you know, it's very easy to do that. And then if you align those colors with uh, attributes, then it becomes very easy to diagnose anything that you're looking at. So that's why uh, identity politics really, really works because for one, politicians aren't usually that smart and they're pretty lazy. Um, So they have no interest in honing in on what really Americans want in a particular area uh, trying to find some sort of middle ground. All that stuff is difficult. What's really easy is to say, I'm writing this law, and it benefits Black people, right? It's its very easy to do that, to use a population of people to, to leverage whatever you want to do. You know, we need to get rid of stoves because it hurts Black people, right? So let's, let's change all these policies, right? And what does that really have to do with us? Um, so it's... It, it, you know, mm-hmm. that that's the reason why they like identity politics is because it's incredibly superficial. It's incredibly easy. Um, and on top of that, I think the most important thing is that it works.
1: Hmm. Yeah. How have you talked to people in your life whose identity is solely on my race? This is just who I am in every way. How have you... Tr- try to talk to them and understand them and get them to, to see what you're seeing?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, especially since I wrote the book, uh, which has been, uh, I guess it's a couple of years now, uh, Time Flies. Um, you know, I, I came more to an understanding and acceptance, and there's, there's polling that shows this. Um, Pew Research shows, that I believe it's 74% of black Americans uh, see race or see their race as an essential part of their identity. So I can't change that, right? But what I can do is say, your race is your central part of your identity, but it doesn't have to be everything for all all movements, everything that you do in life. And, and so I, I don't wanna take away um, the pride that comes from certain black people about being black. That's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when that pride is being leveraged to hate other people, or it's to uh, find some sort of way to have animosity towards other people for whatever reason. Um, that's my issue. And so for me, you know, as a, as a former IT guy, I look at exploitations. And what I notice is that race is used as an exploit uh, to manipulate people. And so if you hold a lot of pride about your race, and then someone comes over and, and points at an opposition, points at an enemy. Right, points at an oppressor. You know, that's the word that we like to use. Then they can manipulate you and get you to do whatever they want. You know, it's the reason why mm-hmm. why Joe Biden can come into Georgia and say, "This, this reminds me of uh, Jim Crow." It makes, you know, this is Jim Eagle, right? To get black people supposedly riled up to have them fight for voting rights. Meanwhile, this last election, I believe, it was the largest black voter turnout. <laughs> you know, so how did make yeah. it make sense? Um, but, but that's that's the manipulation. And, and this is why I left the Democrat Party a number of years ago is because it became very, very clear that it was always about manipulation. Uh, and I became an independent because I don't want any party to decide which way I go to find my, my weakness, my exploit, to get me to do whatever they want just to be a loyalist. Mm. So I, I think race... Correct and identity policies is, is one of those ways. And I'm fearful that uh, the Republican side might look at what's working on the other side and do it more.
1: Yes, 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 absolutely. Yes, that's the danger. Not only this, but the, react, the counter to, and then the counter to that, and that's where the spiral comes. I hate to give this to you, Adam, i only got about two minutes, mm-hmm. but I want to jump to Tyree Nichols in Memphis here. Mm-hmm. And the big deal, of course, being made that he was killed by five black police officers. And I know people in Memphis and like, Tyree's mom is like, what? Like, how could this happen? Our own kind, you get words
2: like that are thrown out there. What do you, how do you think of that? Um, crappy people come in all colors. Evil has no skin color. And so evil people do evil things. And I think this is part of the problem. When we attribute evil and bad actors to supposed to look one particular way, then we we hide ourselves from the other evil people who use that identity to cover up whatever they're doing. So if we look at Black people and say they're incapable of being evil, you know, because they've been oppressed historically, then all you're doing is allowing evil people to do evil things, even to us. I, and I think this is like the deeper, deeper part of identity politics, and and we we're seeing it here uh, in this situation with these officers. It doesn't matter that they're Black; it matters that they're evil. They're immoral people. That's ultimately what matters, and I want more people to see that.